Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hey, hey, today on the show, we have Jay Scott. Great interview with Jay. He's a very sharp, energetic entrepreneur, worked in tech for a lot of years, flipped hundreds of houses, then uh, got into multifamily. Very similar story to, you know, that's that's my story too, right? So the kindred spirit with with uh, Mr. Jay Scott, he's also an author and partner at Bar Down Investments. And we talk about uh, his whole journey, right? I mean, you know, how he got into real estate, got through those hundreds of houses, um, and then why he got into multifamily, what they're up to today. I think you're going to enjoy it as a passive investor, as an aspiring sponsor, as an, you know, a sponsor, whatever the case is. Great story. And I enjoyed my conversation with Jay. Um, some housekeeping before we jump in. If you are not on the DJE investor list currently and seeing our projects and you want to be, you can go to djetexas.com. It's also uh, linked in the show notes and um, set up a call with us or request access. We can send you case studies and past projects, all that fun stuff. Uh, secondly, if you are an aspiring operator, you want to go operate and run these deals. We set up apartmenteducators.com as a platform to do just that. Our, our uh, coaching clients in apartment educators right now have hundreds of units in escrow and, and hundreds of units that they've closed and are operating. Uh, and we love working with them on those deals. We've also got a free video course at apartmenteducators.com that I put together for you. If that's what you see in your future is to is to go out and run these deals. Check that out. Also linked in the show notes. So with that out of the way, let's dive into my uh, interview with Mr. Jay Scott. Here we go. Jay, welcome. Thanks for coming on. How are you? Absolutely. I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Devin. Perfect. Well, let's jump in. Uh, I, I want to talk about all the business stuff and the real estate stuff. Obviously, um, your name is certainly out there, but let's just kind of kick it off with a little bit of an introduction. You know, uh, how'd you how'd you get started, and what led you to real estate? I guess just to be kind of blunt about it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a I'm a tech guy uh, by education and 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 originally by trade. Um, mm-hmm. I have an engineering degree. I ended up in Silicon Valley, California, uh, doing the big tech company thing for a long time. 2006, I met my eventually to be wife and uh, she was also going down the the tech path. I guess she was in marketing, but she was working for the big tech companies. And 2008, we decided to get married and we both realized that we were working 60, 80 hours a week. We were traveling two, three, four weeks a month. Uh, it just wasn't conducive. I mean, we were in our mid thirties at the time. We wanted to start a family and that just wasn't conducive to us sure. um, being able to raise a family. So literally it took about five minutes for us to decide we're going to quit our jobs. We're going to figure something else out. And uh, we're just going to kind of put raising a family and our lifestyle above working. So 2008, quit our jobs, moved to the East Coast, had no idea what we were going to do. Wow. Uh, while we were trying to figure out what we were going to do, my wife was watching an HGTV flip show one day. And yeah. she said, while we're trying to figure out what we're going to do, why don't we flip a house? And so our wedding was was about two months away. I certainly wasn't going to say no to the woman that I still wanted to me to marry. So uh, I said, sure, let's flip a house and, and keep in mind. I had zero real estate experience, never swung a hammer in my life. We had literally just 
purchased the first property that I've ever purchased, which was our personal residence, had no idea what we were doing. We're also wow. in the middle of the 2008 like downturn, the big recession. Sure. Uh, in did one you, of the hardest hit it. Yeah. Did, did you move before the, the brunt of that was kind of out there or during, or that's a crazy time to uproot everything, quit your job? Yeah, we made the decision to move beforehand. Yeah. Um, but it, it, like, it all kind of happened at once. In February was the big stock market drop. Yeah. Uh, in May is when we moved and it was July when we decided to flip a house. And awesome. we were in, we were in Atlanta, Georgia, which was one of the harder hit areas in the country. Luckily I was too naive to know how bad the market was and, and too, right. too naive to know why I shouldn't be trying this. Um, <laughs> so we kind of jumped in and uh, we, we bought a house and we bought another house and we bought another house, still had no idea what we were doing. Um, but we like, we were enjoying it and we kind of were figuring out what was going on. There wasn't a lot of competition at the time. We hadn't tried to sell anything yet, but back then it was so easy to buy undervalued properties. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, we started buying and, and before we knew it one day, like year two, three years later, we looked up and we said, I guess this is what we're doing now. Um, and we flipped about 400 houses over the last 15 years. Um, but then back in 2017, um, just got completely burned out on the house flipping thing, completely Amen. burned out on doing the, the single family thing. Yep. Um, I have done a lot of other business stuff being in the tech world. I've done some advisory work for, for tech companies, especially tech companies in the real estate space, um, and a whole bunch of other things I wanted to do. So 2017, I said, I'm done with real estate. Um, just can't do this anymore. I, I need time off. And so end of 2017, I'm thinking, huh, I miss real estate, but don't really want to do the, the single family thing anymore. I've got all this cash sitting around that I was using for flipping that I'm now no longer putting to work. And so I need to figure out how to put that to work. And a good friend of mine at the time, her name was Ashley Wilson, um, a few years earlier had gotten into multifamily. And she said to me, hey, you got this cash. You're like, you're, you, you know, real estate, you like residential, you just don't want to do single family. Why don't you consider doing multifamily? Because mm -hmm. it, it, there's a lot of new challenges. I think you'll be really good at it. And it's a great place to put big sums of cash to work. And so I said to her, and I know I'm making the story really long. I apologize. No, this is um, great. Please. Yeah, yeah. I love it. So, so I said to her, that sounds great. Actually, I had been thinking about multifamily years before, but it just wasn't the right time. We were so in, entrenched in our, our flipping business. It just never made sense. I said, but it's something that's always interested me. Um, I like the concept, but if I'm going to do it, I'm probably going to have to raise money from other people. I'm not comfortable raising money from other people. We've always self-financed or, or used yeah. bank financing. Um, I said, before I can be comfortable with that, I really want to learn the business. So I said, I'll make you a deal. If you let me volunteer my time for you and your company, I'll do it for one year. I'll do anything you want. You have access to me, my network, my time, my effort, wow. whatever you need. In return, you teach me the business because she, she, was, she was doing really well. Um, and she said, absolutely. And so I basically- Great deal for her. It, mean, was, it was a great deal for both of us. Yeah. I mean, I if, mean, if somebody I, were to hire you, that's, that's probably not cheap. And she got you for a year. Did you stay a year? Or how did that work? I, I, I stayed a year. I did. Awesome. Um, and so the way I looked at it was, I mean, I went to college. I spent a ridiculous amount of money on a college degree, which was actually, I know a lot of people, you, you can go back and forth on whether college is good or bad. For me, it was actually <laughs> good. It, it, it helped me uh, in the career I wanted. Um, so the idea of like paying for real education or volunteering time for real education it made sense. 
Um, I wasn't going to ask somebody to, to mentor me for free. There's nobody has incentive to do that. So I wanted to, I wanted to provide value in return. And so, yeah. So towards the end of that year, we started that in like 2019. Um, that's when I really kind of came on board. And towards the end of that year, we got our first property under contract that I was really involved in. Right. Um, and she said, Hey, look, I would love for you to come in and help with this property, help with the underwriting, help with the due diligence, help with the fundraising. Um, you can be involved in the asset management, um, get a piece of the equity um, in the deal, give you a piece of the GP. Um, so that way, the effort that you're putting in, I mean, you've learned the business, the effort that you're putting in, you're getting compensated for. And I was like, sounds great to me. Um, purchase this property or put this property under LOI February of, of 2020, which was literally a couple of weeks before COVID hit. Um, yep. We had our we had our due diligence uh, 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 trip planned and it got derailed because of COVID. We ended up backing out of the deal or putting the deal on hold. Um, June comes around, everything's kind of stabilized a little bit. And we reach back out to the seller. We say, Hey, we'd love to like talk about this deal again. Ended up getting that deal under contract again, closed in September. Ashley and I worked amazingly well together. We have tremendously complimentary skills. She's really good at, at like the asset management, the acquisitions piece, dealing with people. I'm really good at the the nerdy spreadsheet stuff, the underwriting, the analysis stuff, uh, the fundraising and investor relations. Um, and so just, it was, it was a match made in heaven. Um, end of last year, after this deal closes and we're, we're well into the, uh, the, the management of the property, um, she came to me and she said, look, um, I, 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 we work really well together. Um, I think we'd make a great partnership. Would you be willing to come into my business as a 50-50 partner? And uh, didn't even have to think about it. I mean, at sure. that point, I, I, I knew that that it would be a great opportunity. So beginning of this year, uh, beginning of 2021, we we partnered up 50-50. And uh, I'm now full-time multifamily. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm 50-50 partner in Bar Down Investments, which was Ashley's uh, old company. I love it. I love There's so many great um, elements of that story. I'm curious about a couple of things to just step back a little bit in way back to the beginning of the story here. Were you in tech in 2000 for, for that kind of crash and the whole thing? I was um, yeah. I actually, I, I moved to, to, to uh, San Jose, California. So the, the tech hub of the, of the world right. Uh, right. back in 2000, right after the downturn, um, and so, um, yeah, I was, I was there on nine 11 and, uh, I kind of saw that town kind of implode as well as obviously the, the rest of the country. Right. Um, and so I wasn't investing in real estate at the time, but that was kind of my first real insight into what a market downturn looks like. Yes. San Francisco, San Jose got hit really hard, both from the real estate standpoint and from the tech standpoint, markets got hit hard. So it kind of really shaped my attitude of investing during downturns. And so in 2008, again, I didn't recognize how bad things were in real estate, um, but it was always back of my mind, got to be conservative, got to be conservative. And even to this day, um, I'm, I'm probably a lot more conservative than most investors um, because I recognize that the market works in cycles. And just because things are going really well today doesn't mean they will be in a year or two or three. 100%. And, uh, the, the other big thing is when you're flipping houses, I mean, you just need to be confident that the market's stable for the next two or three or four months. Right. Um, in the multifamily space, you need to be confident that the market's going to be stable for the next two years or five years or 10 years, or if not stable, at least you have enough cash flow and, and, and you have a property that's operating uh, efficiently right. enough. 
that it can and, withstand two or three or five years of a downturn. And um, enough and of so, a loan maturity to ride out 18 months it, if you had to. Exactly, exactly. And so we make a lot of decisions in the company. And, and this is another thing that Ashley and I were, have always been very aligned on. Um, is that we're both very conservative and we make a lot of decisions uh, based on the what-if scenarios. I'm a, I'm a big fan of um, running sensitivity analysis and, and um, running uh, situation analysis and, and risk mitigation plans and things like that, um, because I, I would always rather limit the upside a little bit um, in order to, to limit the downside risk. Yeah, 100%. I love it. When you're flipping houses, 400 houses, what do you think was the uh, one of the key attributes that allowed you to be successful there? That's an incredibly complex and in some ways heartbreaking business where you're writing a lot of checks, dealing with yep. a, a lot of moving parts and hoping there's a big check at the end to, to yep. make it all worth it. Um, but what, what did you find were, were some of the attributes, I guess, for your success in that arena? Yeah, the, the biggest one is that I knew nothing about real estate. Interesting. Um, and I know a lot of people who get in this business and they get in the business because they're a contractor, um, right. or because they, their, their family has invested in real estate or, um, they have some other relationship with real estate and they think, okay, I'm good at real estate. I know real estate. So I'm going to jump in for me. It was completely opposite. I knew nothing about real estate to this day. I, I'm, I, I will happily say, um, I don't really like real estate. The nuts and bolts of real right. estate doesn't interest me. What I like and what I'm good at is the business side of things. Mm -hmm. um, I come from a business background. I, I got my MBA back in early 2000s and, and kind of went the business route uh, in the tech world after, after my engineering days. And so for me, like that's what excites me. And that's where I see the challenges in, in building the business. And because I didn't know the real estate side and because I liked the business side, it kind of forced me to build teams. It forced me to outsource. It forced me to delegate. It forced me to hire. It forced me to build systems and processes and efficiencies and do all those things that really allow you to scale a business without working in the business day to day. I always say, you don't want me swinging a hammer. You don't want right. me designing like the renovation. You don't want me doing the, the staging. You don't want me doing the marketing. Um, you want me kind of running the business and driving the business from, from a business standpoint. And you made a great point about um, the, the hard thing about flipping is um, you go a long time between checks. I always describe it as um, it, it's 89 days of losing money, one day of making money. Hopefully. And so there's a lot of challenges in that type of business. Um, if you have a business that solves, uh, that, that, pr that provides a service or a product, you're probably getting paid every day. Um, and so you have to manage your cash flow a lot differently than a business where you're putting out money, you're putting out money, you're putting out money, you're putting out money. And then again, three, four, six months later, you get a big check. Um, and it really forces you to learn cash flow management. It really forces you to learn inventory management. It forces you to learn the operations side. It forces you to be efficient because if you're going to take a, a, a three-month project and drag it out 12 months, um, you're, you're going to have cash flow issues. And yep. so, um, so it was always, for me, the thing that, that I think made me good at flipping houses was that I never really focused on the flipping houses. I focused on building the business and treating the real estate business like a business. Doesn't matter if it's, it, I could have been starting a shoe store or an ice cream shop or a car dealership 
or any other type of business and the principles are the same, uh, real estate's just inventory to me. And I don't get attached to it and I, I don't treat it any differently than I would shoes or food or anything else I might be selling. Um, and I think that's what allowed me to kind of grow and scale because I took myself out of the day to day. Right. I, I love it. Thank you for the detail on the answer. And that's, um, that's, that's great. You know, anybody that's kind of gone through that volume of flipping houses and been successful has to have that element of it. I mean, there's, there's just no question. And I'm sure a lot of that trans uh, translates well to the multifamily business, different animal or cash flow model. But, you know, I always say if people are talking to me about doing development or something, I'm, I say people are making money doing it, but you know, if you buy this apartment complex a week later, there's a hundred thousand in revenue coming in and it might not be optimized and there's plenty of work to do, but you still got a hundred thousand dollars of revenue and 30 days later, you're going to have it again. Just really takes, it, it really takes some of the pressure off the, the whole business model to have that recurring revenue. A hundred percent. And one of the big things I found is that a lot of people that try and go from single family to multifamily, the biggest issue they have is that in single family, they're trying to do everything themselves. Yes. And you can, that's the nice thing. If you're flipping houses, you can. you can be your acquisitions person. You can raise your own capital. You're probably not going to be doing your own renovations, but you even could be. You could be managing the contractors day to day. Uh, you could be doing your own marketing. You can be doing your own, basically everything, um, just with some people around you to help, but you're kind of the center of that, that universe. When you get into the multifamily space, especially the large multifamily, we typically do 150 units and above, um, it's very much a team sport and you're never going to do everything on your own. You're lucky if you're going to do one thing on your own. And right. what I found was um, in the single family space, I was, I was good at underwriting, but let me tell you something. Now that we have a team of, uh, that, that's doing multifamily, we have some of the best underwriters in the world. I was pretty good at location analysis and, and market analysis, but we have now people who are so much better than I am. And I was right. pretty good at managing renovations and managing contractors, but now we have like some of the best construction managers I've ever met. And I was pretty good at managing a business plan, but Ashley is literally the best asset manager I've ever met in my life. And so I'm now surrounded by all of these people that are the absolute best at what they do. And I can just focus on the things that I'm really good at. And it allows me to kind of say, hey, I need to delegate. I need to trust. And I need to run this thing like a business. And these are all the things I was doing in the single family space. Um, but now it's so much more pronounced in multifamily, um, where if you try and do everything yourself, you're going to fail because none of us are smart enough to do everything. None of us have enough time to do everything. Um, right. and, and so I think that's one of the things that kind of helped me make that transition is that I always treated it like a business. I always liked the delegation piece and the, and the bringing in smart people piece excuse me. Um, but if you want to be successful in multifamily, you really need to be good at letting go and trusting other people and bringing in people who are smarter than you and admitting that you don't know everything. And the people that I've seen had the most struggle in real estate in general, but specifically multifamily um, are those who aren't good at delegating, who aren't good at admitting they're not good at everything, who aren't good at, at, at not being the center of the universe. Yeah, the team sport element of it is is a well a well worn you know kind of a um, description of it. It one hundred percent is, and it's a double edged sword because it's difficult for a lot of entrepreneurs or business people or whatever to to relinquish some control and and to delegate. Uh, uh, but I think you know we've seen it time and time again. You get to the other side of that, or even get good at that piece, and 
you see people buy a 200 unit deal and then a 300 unit and then a hundred fit and then get a thousand door portfolio in like a really short period of time. Not that it's easy, but you see it again and again and again and again, because once you're liberated from needing to have the, the whole stack of responsibilities, I don't care who you are, smartest guy on earth, still same amount of hours in the day. Yep. You're still subject to getting tired and burnt out. And it's just, you know, you, you've got to build the, you've got to build the team. Um, so the team that you guys have now, let talk to uh, us a little bit about, you know, you mentioned 150 plus units. I love that. I love that size. You got a nice payroll, you know, number for that, that size property. You got a proper marketing budget and the whole thing. What markets are you guys looking in and, and how, you know, how are you approaching kind of your acquisition strategy? Yeah. So um, we were primarily in Texas for a long time. Um, Houston is a market that we really love. We, we built a lot of relationships there. It's a market sure. that kind of checked all of our boxes. Um, and so um, we continue to be in that market. Uh, again, we know a lot of brokers there. We know a lot of sellers there. Our property management company is, is, is housed there. Yeah. Um, so, so we love Houston. We love Texas. Um, but we also realized that, especially over the last year or so, Texas has become a really tough market. I mean, cap rates are really low, tons of competition. Um, yeah. A lot of new investors, when, when they move in, into their first market, that for some reason they like Texas. There are a lot of big um, uh, uh, um, uh, coaches and, and mentors in Texas who, who I think bring a bunch of students in. So it's a really, really competitive market. Um, so uh, about a year ago, we decided uh, we wanted to start looking at some other markets. And so we started bringing in acquisition folks and um, we decided the model that we really liked was um, we would bring in folks that were interested in multifamily um, and we kind of plug them into our stack. We would train them. Um, we would teach them how to do acquisitions, how to build relationship with brokers, how to do basic underwriting, uh, basic market analysis, uh, how to do rent comps, things like that. Um, and in return, basically for getting the education, just like I learned basically volunteering my time in return, if they find a deal, um, they get compensated for that deal. And then they get brought into the GP, um, right. to, to be involved with all the other pieces. And so basically the incentive is, um, on our side, we're obviously taking a risk because we're, we're doing a bunch of training of people that may or may not perform. Um, but on the back end, we, we work really hard to find great people who we know are going to perform. And once they do, um, they end up getting a really decent percentage of equity on the deals that they find. Um, and then they can start getting more experience in the other aspects of the deal. So we don't really train people on the due diligence until they find a deal. But if they find a deal, well, now we're going to bring them in so that they can help with the due diligence. They can help with the, um, with the scope of work and the construction uh, management piece that can help with with the loan and and the fundraising and all the other pieces. And so it's really the better they perform, um, the bigger the role they get, the more equity they get. And so it's kind of a, a very uh, synergistic relationship. And so we found a lot of people, or I guess we were up to five acquisitions people in uh, in in about seven or eight markets um, who are tremendously talented and um, have taken to finding deals really well. And it allows us to scale the team because now we're not doing acquisitions day to day in all of these markets. Um, we have people we trust. And, and so we're a big fan of like spend your time wisely. And for us, right. a lot of times that's that's training people and, and really like getting the best out of them um, as opposed to doing the, the job yourself. If you do the job yourself, you're, you're going to be doing it forever. 
Um, if you do the work up front to train somebody and, and really bring them up to speed, um, it, it's just, it's, it pays itself dividends forever. Yeah. The, the multifamily is such a, a perfect business model to, to execute leverage in so many different ways. And one of those is leverage of your knowledge transfer to other capable, hungry folks. And I, I like that model. I mean, I, I, I tell people if the on-ramp to multifamily is a small piece of a big deal, you know, if you yep. want to play the game, the big game, and I, you know, I'm not going to advocate that everybody should, but I think there's a lot of reasons to play the big multifamily game. Uh, the on-ramp there as an active, you know, as a passive investor, yep. you know, do your due diligence, write the check. That's yep. kind of it. Uh, but as an active investor, get a, get a tiny piece of that 150 unit deal, do the work, sweat equity, get surrounded with people that are where you want to be. And you'd be amazed how quickly that small equity in the first deal turns into a little more in the next deal. And next thing you know, you're, you're, your GP running deals. Exactly. And what I like to tell people is that unlike in the, in the single family space where kind of you need to start the company, if you really want any equity, you need to be the person that's kind of doing the deals yep. um, in, in the multifamily space or in the syndication space or the commercial space in general, um, it's not difficult to plug yourself into somebody else's team. Right. Um, and I know we're looking for that all the time. We're looking for great asset managers. We're looking for great underwriters. We're looking for great analysts. We're looking for great asset uh, acquisitions people. Um, we're looking for great fundraisers, whatever. Um, and so we'll happily bring somebody in from the outside and give them equity either in the deal or maybe even in the company if they're that good. Um, and they don't have to start their own company. They don't even have to find their own deals if they're not doing the acquisitions piece. And so that's what I like to tell people. You want to get into multifamily, figure out what that thing is that you're really good at and get better at it and better and better and become the best in the world at just that one little thing. And then you'll find a hundred companies out there that will, will happily pay you, whether in salary or commission or equity to come in and be the best in the world at that one thing for them. That's right. And this is interoperable. You know, it's like, if you learn a skill set with, with somebody on a deal in Atlanta, that skill set's going to transfer quite well to another company doing multifamily syndications in Florida. Yep. I mean, it really, there's going to be obviously changes, differences between those markets, but I've, I've been amazed how, you know, I've participated in so many different deals on every imaginable level all over the country. And everybody's kind of running the same model with maybe minor modifications, it's really kind of mind, mind boggling how, how simple it is. And the pie's big enough to, to divvy it up. Absolutely. Um, and, and so, and the best multifamily people aren't, um, they're not greedy. And they're yep. happy to divvy up the pie because they realize that it's more important to get, like you said, a small piece of a big pie um, or a lot of small pieces of a lot of big pies if you can do a lot of deals um, than it is to, to try and get a big piece of, of, of every deal and, and do everything yourself. It's just not scalable. Yeah, 100%. Can you touch? So you've got this perspective, which I really appreciate having really done the work on the single family stuff. Um you know, probably as much work as you ever want to do. And I, I, you're a kindred spirit with me. I did too many houses, you know, uh, before getting into multifamily. And so you, you've got both talk, talk a little bit about kind of the caliber or quality of character in each, in each arena, right? You got the single family world and kind of the character cast characters there, and you've got multifamily world cast characters there. And, and you know, how is that different? Yeah. So, um, I think the best way to describe it is in the single family world, it's just a much lower barrier to entry. 
Um, Anybody can do it. Um, Doesn't take much to get started. Um, And so you're going to get a lot of people who haven't really thought through why they're doing it or should they be doing it. Um, They just see it as maybe, oh, this is a a great way to get rich quick, or this is a great way to make some money to uh, um, to buy my next car or whatever. And and so there'll be people that jump in. Um, And again, I think it boils down to uh, single family doesn't necessarily feel like it has to be treated like a business. Um, yes. There are a lot of people who think I can do a deal. I'm not running a business. Um, I can even do five deals or 10 deals and I'm not really running a business. It's not true, um, but you can have that attitude um, in the multifamily space. You really need to focus on building a business and very few people are going to be successful in the multifamily space by waking up one day and saying, I want to go do a deal. There's a whole lot of work that goes in before that. You need to build the team. You need to build the relationships. I mean, if you're really, really good Um, it may take you a year to find a big multifamily property these days in a a decent market. Um, Single family, you can go out and buy a property tomorrow. I mean, may not be a great deal, but um, so just anybody that wants to get into multifamily basically has to recognize that it's going to be a long process. You may go three months or six months or 12 months or 18 months without a paycheck. Um, And even when you do get a paycheck, your big paycheck in multifamily doesn't come until you've actually successfully carried out your business plan. So yeah, there's the acquisition fee and maybe you have your asset management fee and your construction management, and maybe you have a a few fees here and there, Um, but the real money comes when you've been successful. And in single family, you get to that, that point, two, three, four months in the multifamily world. It can take a year to find the deal. It can take six months to, to close the deal. It can take three to five to eight years to, to actually uh, execute and exit the deal, right. you may be going five, six, seven years between big paychecks. And so the people that are going to be willing to do that are the ones that think long-term, the ones that think like business owners and entrepreneurs, um, and the ones who are in this for the long haul. And so I love that about multifamily. One of the hardest things for me when I got into real estate in general was I came from the tech world. I came, I, I spent most of my career at Microsoft. And, right. um, Culture shock. Most- <laughs> yeah, most of the most of the people I worked with, they spent years in college and then they spent years at smaller companies working their way up. These are some sure. of the smartest people in the world. They paid their dues. And then I come and I, I start looking at people that are flipping houses. And it's like, yeah, they woke up yesterday, they didn't know what to do. And they they said, Oh, maybe I'll try flipping a house, which was what I did basically. So I, I shouldn't be right. knocking those people. Um, but yeah, it's a real low barrier to entry and it it can be um it's, it's not as mentally stimulating as when you're, again, like in the multifamily space, where you're with people who are really thinking about building a business, being an entrepreneur, building something for the next five or 10 or 20 years. I love it. Yeah, that's such a, that's such a great uh, comparison of those two spaces. I, I came from the tech space too, and I kind of joke around that I talk to my friends that are still in that space and things have changed a lot in the last 10 years, right, in, yeah. in tech. And I haven't kept up with any of it, you know, and I'm over here dealing with uh, sheetrock and drywall, which yep. is like the simplest, you know, possible thing. The finance stuff gets a little bit more complex, but uh, not on the level that the, the tech stuff was. So right. that's, that's always kind of funny. Um, I wanted to touch on capital, right? I mean, if I'm talking to somebody about doing a deal, the classic thing is, should, should I talk to brokers? And I'm like, well, if you have a line of sight to how you're going to get your debt, Basically, who's your key principal and what's the team there? And if you have a line of sight to how you're going to get the equity and you can put that together, figure out how you're going to raise 3 million bucks or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, if you can get the loan and you get the equity, 
probably okay to talk to a broker. If you have no idea of the line of sight to those things, please don't talk to a broker, waste your time. You mentioned funding the single family stuff, you know, yourselves, which is great. gives you a lot of flexibility. Did you have any sort of, you know, were were you doing any private lending or capital raising in that business before you got to multifamily or have you kind of built that capital engine, you know, from scratch in the multifamily business? No, I I was, I I was working with a number of private lenders, um, but it was always, I had a personal guarantee on the line right? Um, and I had a good bit of cash behind me um, yep. that I, I either was also using or I was using for something else. Um, so yes, I was working with lenders, but there was always that if something went south, if I lost somebody's money, um, unlike in the multifamily space where a lot of times you're working with non-recourse loans, um, it, it's you're basically, you're on the hook um, for paying that back. I was on the hook for paying that back in the sure. multifamily space. On the debt side, it's non-recourse, but on the equity side, I'm taking money from people who need to put food on their on their plates for their family, who need to send their kids to college, um, who are not necessarily investors professionally, um, but are right. just looking for a good opportunity. And they're trusting me with their money. I'm, I now need to be a good steward of, of their investment. And that's terrifying. Yep. Um, even in the single family space where I had personal guarantees on everything, most of my loans were coming from other investors. They understood the risks. They knew if the market turns down and we have another 2008 type event, eh, there's a reasonable shot. We all lose money. Um, But in the multifamily space, I can tell people over and over, expect you're going to lose every penny because that's the worst case scenario. Um, But a lot of these people are not professional investors and they see it as, well, I've invested in multifamily for the last five years. I keep getting these amazing returns. Like it's just going to continue forever. And so it, it's scary. You don't want to be the one to, 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 to break that streak for them. Um, and so I, I wanted to make sure that I was 100% comfortable, um, that I knew what I was doing, that I was plugged into an amazing team. And most importantly, that I was investing alongside of them. I guess 100%. Um, I, yeah. I, I've, I've tried to use the biggest selling point for why somebody should invest with us is we invest alongside our investors. I mean, our latest deal, we're putting the, the three partners are putting $2 million in. Yeah. Um, and so um, are we going to lose money? We might, but if, if, if you lose money, I'm losing money too. Yeah. That's very powerful. You know, read the PPM. It's yep. all doom and gloom. It's everything yep. that can go wrong, right? Yep. Everybody's got to read that and sign that to be in the deal. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's that on one end of the spectrum is the doom and gloom of the PPM. And then the other side is, I'm the biggest investor in the deal. So yeah. I talked to you till I'm blue in the face about depreciation and cash flow and you know net positive migration and our track record, whatever the case is. Um, but you know, the kind of the the check, you know, show me the show me the check that's that's going into it is really kind of where the where yeah. the buck stops. And I think that's that's kind of the most powerful thing you can do as the sponsor is to say, yes, we believe all these things, we have a good shot at at hitting our projections or beating our projections, but also here's, here's how much I believe writing my check. It's just, you know, there's, there, there's no uh, parallel or comparison for, for being the biggest investor on the project. Yeah. But now that said, I mean, there's probably a lot of people listening to this that are trying to break into multifamily that can't write the biggest check on the deal. And so what I would tell them is it doesn't have to be that way. Um, My company is not the biggest player in multifamily. Hopefully one day we will be, but we're not. And so I still have to explain to investors, why should they invest with me 
as opposed to this other big name syndicator, this other big name syndicator that they hear about. Um, and so I, I like to think that we've built enough of a reputation and enough of um, and investing alongside them helps. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of things that we as operators can do um, to build more trust, especially when we're, we're, we're new to this game and we're trying to get investors to come in with us. And so I would suggest anybody out there um, that's in that position where they can't write a big check, but they're still looking to raise money um, on your first couple deals, be willing to do things like take a very small acquisition fee or no acquisition. Right. Fee. Um, be willing to give a, a larger pref, um, be willing to give a better waterfall, um, be willing to take a lower annual asset management fee. Um, basically tell your investors, look, I'm going to essentially take no money until the end of this deal or as, as little money as, as you can afford to live on until the end of this deal. Meaning if this deal isn't successful, I'm going to waste three or five or seven years of my life. And I know that might not compare to the $200,000 you want to give me, um, but that's huge. And, and, and I think a lot of investors understand that trade-off that, yeah, they don't have money in the deal, but if they really understand that you're not getting paid for the next five years, you're working on sweat equity, you're working right. on your reputation alone and your, your ability to, to be successful in this deal, that's powerful. And so I would encourage anybody that can't write a big check for their own deal, think of other ways that you can align your, your incentives with your investors and you can send the message to them that I'm willing to, to give up um, until I make you successful and I make you money. I love it. Yeah. That investor first approach is something you see with all the successful syndicators and it's, it's just a common denominator. So you do that right. You know, you're going to, you're going to do very well in the business. I want to finish up Jay with, with a couple questions. One would be, what do you say to that person that is, you know, they've done well in their career. They want to kind of get in onto that on-ramp into multifamily, but they're relatively new to it, right? What do you, what do you, what do you say to that person coming into it? Um, I, I like the path I took and I recommend that path to anybody. Find somebody that you respect, that has a good reputation, that has been successful in this business and go to that person and say, I'd like you to teach me, but I'm not going to ask for it for free. What can I do in return to make it worth your while? And so maybe, maybe you're really good at marketing and you say, I'm going to create a marketing engine for your company in return for you teaching me multifamily. Maybe you're a tech person and you build websites for a living. I'm going to build you the best websites in the world. Maybe you're a systems and processes person and you say, I'm going to create some of the best systems and processes and document the systems and processes. And I'm going to get you set up on whatever tool sets, uh, software suites there are uh, to implement these processes. You don't have to know anything about real estate. There are a lot of things that multifamily people need. Maybe you're just great at making logos. Maybe you're great at, at, um, at doing video and, and creating um, video content. Maybe you're great at whatever it is. Um, figure out how you can use that skill or those skills to benefit somebody that's been successful in this business and then trade that for the mentorship. Um, I love and, it. Then, and then say, look, if this works out, maybe I can get a percent or two or five or 10 of equity in the next couple deals. Um, maybe one day you'll, I'll, I'll find a role in the business um, and you can plug me into the business or not. Um, but it's, it's an on-ramp, like you said. And I, I think always go in with the attitude, I'm willing to provide value for the value I get in return, at least a commensurate amount of value than what I'm going to get in return. 
Um, and you'll find a lot of people out there that'll be very receptive to that. When we have people that come to us and say, hey, I, I want to, I want to, I want to work for you um, in return for mentorship or equity when I actually perform or whatever, those are the, my favorite people in the world because I know that they're not selfish, just looking out for themselves. And they're also thinking longer term. Um, and people that think long right. term tend to be the best, the best partners and employees and, and whatever. I love it. That, that's such that's such great insight. And you know, for those listening, uh, the the extra mile is is not crowded, folks. You know, and all a business owner wants is somebody volunteering the extra mile because because nobody does that, right? And if you do that, now the risk for you doing that is you're doing it all for free and you're doing all you're going first. But when you go first you kind of show the universe what you're capable of. And I mean, you're going to get business owners attention by going the extra mile. You're absolutely going to stand out by doing that. So yeah. I, I love that. Second and here's the other, here, here's the other yep. thing I want to point out. This is sure. the reason why I said, find somebody that has a good reputation and that's been successful. Um, yep. People, especially when it comes to things like multifamily, where we never, we didn't talk about brokers and broker relationships, but a lot of that is reputation. You get a 100%. bad reputation in multifamily. You may never do another deal. Um, and so good multifamily operators recognize how important reputation is. Um, and hopefully they're not going to take advantage of your willingness to, to volunteer time or do whatever it is. Um, so always focus on people that have a good reputation, people you trust, because even in, even in any space, there's going to be people out there that will take advantage. Um, but in multifamily, reputation is hugely important. Um, and people aren't going to take advantage of employees or, contractors or vendors or anybody um, at risk of their reputation. That's right. Yeah. It becomes the, the single greatest asset, uh, especially somebody that's built a business over a number of years and has that track record. That's the thing they're going to defend and grow beyond any other asset of the company. Um, second piece on, you know, some let's take this person or avatar that's got a good job. They've heard multifamily is, you know, a, a good place to preserve and grow capital, but they haven't done it. I'm sure you guys have those conversations every day with that type of person. What What do you say to that person that maybe wants to come in as a as a limited partner or a passive investor on a deal, but they are kind of new to the business? Is you know what what's your what's your takeaway for them? Uh, I tell them don't do it until you're completely comfortable. I love it. Yep. Um, and I'm not being just altruistic. Um, I, sure. I do that because that's good for me too, as somebody that's raising money. Um, if somebody comes in and they're not comfortable, one, they're going to be stressed throughout the entire process. They're going to be emailing me and calling me a lot, which I don't mind. I'll talk to every, I'll talk to sure. any, any of our potential investors a million times. Um, but I don't want people losing sleep over those investments. Yep. Um, I, I also know that um, the right investors, at some point they will get comfortable and at some point they will come back. And high pressure sales, one, it's just not me. I'm, I'm not a sales guy. I'm not a marketing guy. Um, I would rather tell somebody, this isn't the right deal for you. Do me a favor. I'm going to put you to on, our, on our mailing list. The next deal, I'm going to send it out, register for our, our, our online webinar where we talk through the deal, watch the online webinar. Still not comfortable? Do it again for the next one and the next one. And go yep. find 10 other operators and sit through their webinars. And find the one that resonates most with you in terms of their personality, in terms of um, the types of deals they're doing, the location that they're doing. Um, because at the end of the day, you may think I'm like the greatest thing in the world, but that doesn't mean we're a good fit. 
Um, And so I want investors that are a good fit because that makes my job easier. It also means they're likely to be repeat investors. And so if it means telling an investor, wait six months or a year or two years, I'm happy to do that. And so what what I recommend to other people, and and again, this is just more my personality. um, If you're talking to a potential LP who um, that, that isn't convinced, don't try to convince them. Love it. Basically give them information, know that, that you'll continue to give them information, know that you don't care if it takes them two or three or five years to invest, but you hope that they'll always consider working with you and, and just tell them, look, keep gathering information. And when you have questions, come to me. And when the time is right, the time will be right. That's perfect. And that really encompasses the, this, I think one of the things that attracts a lot of us to this business model is it is absolutely a win-win scenario here, right? I mean, to somebody that has done multifamily investing as an LP and they're comfortable with it and used to it, they love it. They own 70% of the deal. They don't have to do anything. You know, Um, obviously there's some steps on getting educated and sponsored due diligence. I don't want to glaze over that, but for those that are acclimated to it, um, it's, it's a no brainer. So it's a total win for, for LPs and it's a win for the GPs doing uh, the tremendous amount of work it takes to, to make these projects successful. I love it. That's a great overview for the new potential passive investor and the new potential aspiring operator. Um, Jay, this has been really awesome. Thank you for sharing the story. If somebody listening wants to connect with you and your company, learn what you guys are doing, how can they do that? Absolutely. So a uh, company's name is Bar Down Investments. So bardowninvestments.com. And anybody that wants to connect with me or get links out to anything I'm doing, uh, connectwithjscott.com. Um, just the letter J, connectwithjscott.com, and that'll kind of link you out to everything that, that you might want to find or if you want to connect with me. Outstanding. Well, we will link to that. If you're listening, it, there's going to be a link to it right in the show notes on your device. So check that out. Meet Jay, meet the team. Um, Jay Scott, thank you so much. I really appreciate you jumping on today. Hey, Devin, thanks so much. I appreciate being here. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE Podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.